Thanks uh, for sharing, Joseph, and, and thanks everyone for being here and for being the church, uh, for bringing it in uh, virtually as well as here uh, in person. Uh, happy Sunday to y'all. Um, can you look to someone and say, happy Sunday? You could do that. You want to chat that in your text box, you can do that as well. Happy Sunday. Um, Sunday's my favorite day of the week. Uh, I don't know if it's your favorite day of the week. Can you, why don't you turn to someone else and tell them what's your favorite day of the week? Tell them your favorite day of the week. Don't ask them, just tell them. My favorite day of the week. All right, now back up here at the count of three. At the count of three, everyone say your favorite day. Okay, right? One, two, three. Okay, heard a lot of Saturdays. Um, I don't know what else I heard, but um, yeah, Saturday probably, Saturday, Sunday, uh, top two days. Most people would say, oh, I like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, top three. Uh, the closer you get back to, actually, the, the, the further you get along the week, it, usually the days become a little bit more popular. Uh, the worst day of the week for most people is typically... Monday. Hey, I was reading my Bible this, um, actually, right before service, Genesis 1. Um, you would be interested to know that Monday is the only day in the creation account where it does not say God said, saw that it was good. Is that crazy? Don't look at it now, but, but, but take my word for it. Um, Monday's probably not people's favorite day because of the fact that the weekend is over, you got to go back to school, got to go back to work. Uh, the things that need to be done on the, on the day-to-day, the things that God has called us to do. When I was, uh, before I was, went into ministry, I was a student like many of y'all. I would go to school. Um, I would work. I worked in, a, in this, like, property management office and uh, would go to work. For a couple years, I, I did that. And on Sundays after church, I would want to hang out with my friends as long as I could to kind of delay the inevitable that after one night's sleep, I'm going back to work at 8 o'clock in the morning. I did whatever I could to push that aside, whether it be work or whether it be school, whatever it was. Um, I did not like Mondays. The best Mondays were the Mondays where there was a teacher work day like tomorrow or there was a a, a holiday or something like that. Um, But I did not love Mondays. And it led me to think, led me to ask myself, when Jesus was uh, a 12-year-old, like middle schooler, I don't know if they they talked in those categories then, but if Jesus was 12, I wonder if he ever said, you know what, Ma, I don't want to do this homework today. I don't want to go to school. I'm I'm going to pretend the dog ate my homework or whatever it is, uh, my papyrus. I don't know what Jesus, I I wondered if Jesus would ever say things like that. Or when he was like 20 years old and he had to go to the carpenter shop, if he ever said, you know what, I'm going to tell Joseph that uh, I'm not able to make it in today. Tell dad I can't make it in today. Not feeling well. I'm going to, I don't know, use my PTO or vacation, use my sick leave, whatever it is. I wonder if Jesus ever did or said things like that. Anyone, you know what, Jesus being human, I think he did things like that. Anyone feel that way? Nobody. Okay. Uh, probably most of y'all are thinking, well, of course not. Jesus is God. He wouldn't do anything like that. Um, and that's my point. Like, that's the point I'm trying to make. That Jesus saw, as God, he saw work and he saw that vocation. Whether, you're at, whether you physically go to work right now, it doesn't matter if you get paid for it or not. Whatever you do as your vocation, as your calling right now. For some of you, I go to work in an office, like that's what I do. For some of you, you own a, a business, that's what you do. You have a store, you have a restaurant, you're a server, you have a part-time job, but you go to school. Some of you stay at home as moms and you're a homemaker. This is what God has called you to do in this particular season of life 
that's what we're going to be talking about when it comes to work. But Jesus and God sees that, see that a lot differently sometimes than many of us do. What I want to do today is I want to talk about and ask that question, how does God see work? And is it possible for us to honor God while we work? Is it possible for us to worship God as students who go to school? Is it possible for me as a stay-at-home mom, not me, but you as a stay-at-home mom, is it possible for you to worship God and honor God while you do that? In about 300 AD, 325, something like that, St. Augustine said, he, he wrote and he talked about a theology of work And he said, a maid who cleans the floor honors God while she works, not because she sings hymns while she does it. He he said, a cobbler who makes a shoemaker who makes shoes honors God, not because he ties crosses on the ends of the shoelaces, but they honor God in the work that they do. And the question is, how do we do that? Can we work for the glory of God? Can we study for the glory of God without having a Spotify worship playlist playing in the background? What does it mean when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come to school? I simply come to work. I simply wake up with my kids and I've got to be a mom. What does it mean to honor God when the music fades, all is stripped away? God, I'll bring you more than a song. More than a song, because that's not what you wanted. We know that God wants all of our lives, but specifically, what does that look like to you as a student? What does that look like to you as a worker? What does it look like to you in the present calling that God has given to you? Uh, I want to talk about this, and I'm not going to be able to cover everything there is to do, but what I want to do is get us thinking differently about our vocation right now, about what we're doing right now, not this second, but in this season of life, as you go to virtual school, launch it, as you teach, as you uh, go in person to school, as you WFH, work from home, or as you go into your place to work, as you are a, a mom raising kids and, and doing all this homeschooling stuff or, or virtual school, what does it mean for us? How do we honor God? I want to get us to think differently than just thinking, I've got to get through school so I can get to college, so I can get a job, and then I'll start thinking about these things. What does it look like? What does it mean for us in our present calling right now as students, as workers, whatever it might be, to honor God? Um, Again, you cannot say everything about anything or you end up saying nothing. And so what I want to do today is, again, just get us thinking. And I would direct your thoughts, if you're a reading type or a listening type, uh, to Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, Amazing. Or um, he has a ministry called the Center for Life and Work that his former church started, which has some amazing resources on how I take my discipleship into the marketplace or into the home or into the school. But today, uh, we're going to look at Proverbs again. Proverbs 14, 23 is where we're going to start. But I want to I don't want to limit what we talk about to Proverbs. I want to scale out uh, and and, and take a little bit more of a big picture, uh, comprehensive approach to seeing work uh, through the worldview, um, through the worldview of the gospel, through the worldview of faith, through the worldview of scripture, and through the wisdom that comes from Proverbs and other places. Proverbs 14, verse 23, uh, we'll start here and then we'll, we'll bounce around a little bit. It says, all hard work, all hard work. Brings a profit, but much, uh, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Okay, all hard work brings a profit, uh, but mere talk leads only to poverty. This is God's word. As we try to reframe our understanding of our vocation as workers, as students, um, as mothers who stay home, whatever our present lot in life is, 
I want to uh, just bring three thoughts that would be helpful and important. Here's the first thing. God designed your work, okay? God designed your work, your work, your work, our work, my work, every one of our work, student, mom, uh, employer, employee, boss, manager, whoever it is. God designed your work okay, to be a blessing to you <laughs> and a, a blessing to others. Okay? God designed your work to be a blessing to you and a blessing for others to others. Think about that first thought. God designed what you do right now, work, school, to be a blessing to you. Some of you are like, dude, that's like a far cry from what I'm experiencing right now. Anyone feel that way? <laughs> good. No one. Uh, we're, we're all good. We don't need, we can, we can end now. But uh, I think most of us, man, this is difficult. This is hard for me to see it as a blessing. Uh, in order to get to this place, I think we have to kind of back up the truck a little bit to see where does work come from. Did you know in most ancient civilizations, most ancient civilizations would have a worldview of work that is consistent with the, most, the majority of people who are working in America today, that work stinks. It's awful. It's terrible. It's, it's part of this broken and jacked up world. If you remember your Greek mythology, you remember reading about Pandora's box? It was like this box where curious people, I don't know the whole story, but someone was curious, they opened it up uh, thinking it would be like a box of treasure, but out of it came all kinds of bad things, like death came out of that, and disease and sickness, COVID-19 comes out of that, cats come out of there, but also things like work, like work comes out of Pandora's box. And so their understanding of work is that this is a terrible thing, one of the worst things on par with death and disease, and crickets, and mosquitoes, and all kinds of, these things come out of Pandora's box. One of these things was work. And so their view of work is like, work is bad. You can kind of understand it with like uh, Plato, like all the work stuff is bad, and soul stuff is good, that Platonic dualism, which you don't care about to say. But all that to say, Greek mythology, okay, Greek mythology believed that work was an evil thing. If you go back and remember from your, like, 11th grade English literature class, you remember reading, like, the Epic of Gilgamesh and, and, and things like that. You read about the Babylonian creation accounts um, in a myth called the Enuma Elish. Anyone remember that? Awesome. We're doing great in our school system. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, the Enuma Elish was a creation account that said the gods made everything, and then they were tired and they rested, but the problem is they wanted to eat. Right? They wanted to eat, and, but they had nobody to, to get the food for them, nobody to make the food for them. And so, oh, this is terrible. What are let's create these things called humans, and let's make them work to do the things that we don't want to do. <laughs> and so work, according to the Enuma Elish, the Babylonian creation myth, is that work was what the gods didn't want to do. And so humans were created to do the dirty work of the gods. So this is what work was. It's kind of like, you know, oh, we don't want to do it, so you take it. When our, our kids would sometimes, we, our family would go out to, to eat somewhere, and we'd buy them a dessert. Jeremiah, here are the flavors. This is the flavor of the day. It's this new one called whatever it was. Oh, that sounds really good. And so our kids say, can we get it? And they, they get it, and they taste it, and it's like nasty to them, but they try to make it seem like they like it. And so they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> dad, you want some? Mom, you want some? And they're like, oh, we taste it. We, knowing that they hate it, we taste it, and we don't like it either. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Here, you finish it. It's, it's really good. They're like, no, 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 I'm kind of feeling like a stomachache right now, or I want you to have it or something like that. And we're like, wrong, you're bad. <laughs> like, you don't want to have it. That's why you're giving it to us to, to eat. And that's the view of work according to these ancient creation myths of all the other civilizations. Work is bad. Work is evil. Work is boo to work. It's terrible. Hiss. Nothing good about work. 
And then you come to the Bible, where the Bible over and against every other account tells us a different story. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As soon as the Bible starts saying anything, it's talking about work. And it's talking about God doing it. God creating, God inventing. God, it's not just white-collar work. God gets his hands dirty in the dirt to create Adam, pulls a rib out of him, makes a woman. God is getting it. He's an artist. He's a cultivator. God is doing all of these things, and at the end of each day except Monday, he says, it's good. I like it. It works. It's awesome. This is the way it's supposed to be. What God was doing was taking everything that was out of order, chaos, right, messiness, darkness, all of this, this and he's, he's pulling it into order. There was day. There was night. There were stars and sun and moon, and there were uh, fish in the sea. There was different things to to. to, 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 to There was order to creation, and there were different things to rule over the created order. There was day, night, sky, sea, sea, land, all of that in order that we would then enter into this world to be able to flourish. The work of God was that he created order from disorder, raw material, cultivated it in order that humanity could live and experience the love of God in this world. That's what God did. If you read um, the Bible for Kids app, uh, where they will read these Bible stories to you, it's really fun. It's uh, like animated and, and different things move and you can collect treasure from the different stories. It says when God, cre- in the creation account, it says day one, good. God says, I like it. I like it. And he delights over it. Like God worked. He could have done it any way he wanted, but it pictures God as a worker. Remember, he's writing to slaves in Egypt, right? God, Moses is writing to people like saying, God too is a worker. Like your work is not in and of itself an evil thing. Work inherently is a good thing. God is the one who works and he does it and he likes it. He delights in it and he, he whistles while he works. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work, God goes because he loved it. He loved it. He loved it. And then When he rested, he created humanity to carry on the work that God was doing. Not that he needed it, not that we needed it, but that he wanted us to experience the blessing that he experienced when he worked. Do you understand this? When God says, okay, the the picture of work in the Garden of Eden is you're a gardener. Adam and Eve, you're a gardener. That's what you do. You take raw material like God did. You take raw material and you make it orderly so that it could bless the world. You take plants from the garden and you put it together into a salad so that you can eat it. You take these things that are good and tasty and then you package it. You you, you bring all of this raw material and you cultivate it. That's the word that God uses when he created. It's the same word for what he calls us to do, calls Adam and Eve to do in working. In other words, when we work, we're participating in the work of God in our world. We are loving the world as God's fingers and hands in the world is what Calvin and Luther would say. It says in Proverbs, all work leads to profit. All work is a blessing. It's not just the brain work. It's not just the heart work. It's the work with the hands. It's the stuff that you do in your home. 
all of those things. So everything you do, you're joining in the work of God to create something out of disorder and packaging it in order that it could be given to the blessing of the world. So this is what a mother does when she's at home. She takes the chaos of toys everywhere. She takes the chaos of, of ingredients everywhere. She takes the chaos of a, of a sinful, folly-driven heart, and she disciplines it, and she works in it, and she loves it, and she prays for it so that out of that can come a healthy home where a child can grow and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When, when a warehouse worker takes all of these things off of his shelf, and he takes it, and he, he brings it to the store, and the stores begin to sell it, they're taking these things, these chaotic things, and putting it in orderly fashion so that people can then take it, consume of it, in order that they might be able to thrive as people in this world. This is the work of God. It's meant to be a blessing. All work is good in that sense. We are joining God in the creative work of blessing so that through us, God is loving the world. This is what we do with our work. Uh, Dr. Robert Cantrell was, uh, when I was in college, he was the vice president and provost of the uh, UVA Health Sciences Center. That means he was in charge of the medical school, the nursing school, and the hospital at UVA. And what he would tell every incoming resident, every incoming student, every incoming doctor, nurse, technician, whomever it was, he would say, guys, listen, you need to understand who you are and who you're not. He said, God is the ultimate healer. God is the only one who can heal and you are conduits, channels of his healing power. That's what you are. That's what your work is. You're putting yourself as, as instruments in the hands of God, and you become the fingers of God in the world. When you deliver mail, you're taking this, all this like crazy chaos of everybody's mail, and you're putting it orderly so that they can get the things that they need. When you take food, when you're a baker, you're a baker and you take uh, the raw material of yeast and you turn it into bread and you make it available so people can eat, this is what you're doing. You, it's literally God is feeding his people through you. He's loving his people through you. Mind you, Adam and Eve's sin was not part of the world when God said, you've got to work. It's, this was before sin entered into the world. He said, work, because I delight in work. It's a blessing to me, and I want it to be a blessing to you and through you to be a blessing to others. Remember, God didn't need Adam and Eve to cultivate the garden in order to make a meal. He could have just dropped it down in their laps and said, eat, and they would eat. <laughs> but God told them to do it because in that, they're understanding the blessing of participating in the work of God to love the world and to be a blessing to it. This is what work is called to be. And this is what every single one of us is called to do. As students right now, what you're doing is you're taking the raw material of all of this information and you're internalizing it so that you'll not only have knowledge but have wisdom to live life in this world as productive members of society. That's why what, what you do as students is so highly valuable. You cannot take this lightly. This is God's call for your particular season of life, meant to be a blessing so that you can not only bless your teachers and classmates, but through learning, you would become a blessing to other people as you enter into your work life. In every facet of life, you have to see that you are the fingers of God, either being trained now or being in the workplace so that God through you can love and bless the world. Right, this is what it means to work. It's not I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go to pay my bills. There's a delight in the worker that is God and a delight that he puts in you. Again, before, before sin, in a perfect world, we are working to create order out of chaos, to bring blessing 
to the world in order that the world could experience the love of God through us and through our work. What does that mean? That means if you're, if you're, if you're a 35-year-old dude and you're just camping out in the basement of your parents' house getting uh, uh, welfare checks or, or unemployment benefits because you don't want to get a job, that's not God's plan for your life. Yeah, during pandemic, we need to do that. Absolutely, absolutely, and nope, there's nothing against that. But if that's been your story for 10 years, and your, your, your mission is to become the best video game player who doesn't get paid, and that's your, your aim, that's, you're, you're falling short of what God wants for your life. You'll never feel fully satisfied or fully alive, nor will you feel fully human unless you're working, because this is how God has created it to be, created you to be. It's a blessing to you as you work, and it's a blessing through you where you become the fingers of God to show his love to a world in need. The first thing that we see, all work brings a profit. First thing that we see is that God created work, designed work to be a blessing. Second thing that we see, and, and, and maybe I, I know what you're saying, and so here's the second thought. Sometimes work seems a whole lot more like a curse than it does a blessing. I know, that's part of preaching is anticipating your questions and then verbalizing it for you. Yeah, work feels like a, I don't feel, a blessing. Are you kidding me? Like, have you ever taken seven AP classes? and 12 IB classes at the same time because like, I'm doing like this dual enrollment stuff. This is crazy. Like, I don't understand it. Where, where, did, where did a blessing become something that we see as a curse? Well, in the, in the garden before sin entered, it was easy. Adam and Eve were just like, whatever you wanted to eat. They, didn't have to, they probably didn't have to wash their apples. Just take it off and start eating it, right? Whatever they needed, all the food they wanted was, was so easy. It was fun. They laughed. Food fights were fun. They didn't even hurt each other, and they didn't. Just, everything was great. And then all of a sudden, sin enters into the world, and it affects everything. Our view of ourselves, our view of other people, our view of God, our view of work. Sin enters the world, and God says, hey, you know what? What used to be pretty simple, what used to actually be very simple and enjoyable, by the sweat of your brow, you'll work. All of a sudden, Adam's going to strain to cultivate the garden. And not only that, thorns and thistles will come up from the ground. Oh, my goodness. Why is it so difficult? It used to be so easy. Why do I have to till the land and plow and all this? Why, why has it become so hard? To Eve, Eve, you're going to be the homemaker. You're going to be a mother. You're going to be an awesome mother, the mother of all the living. This is easy. Just pop out, baby. Well, she never got to experience that. She never got to experience what it is to be a mother apart from sin. And so what happened? He said, here, you're going to have problems. It's going to be difficult. Raising a child, giving birth to a child, giving birth to a child is going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And all of life is going to be painful as you do that. It's not going to be easy. That's why one moment the floor is clean, the next moment you walk away and come back and there's stuff everywhere. Like that's because of sin in our world. That's why copy machines break. It's why computers crash. It's why phones don't work right when you need them to work. It's why the Zoom call, the most important Zoom call of your life where you're supposed to get that ultimate promotion. Oh, Wi-Fi not detected. Oh, stink. 
That's why you get paper cuts when you're trying to do the work. It's, it's why you have fights with, with your coworkers. It's why there's office gossip. It's why your bosses are horrible to you. It's why you get exploited. It's why some people get millions and millions and millions of dollars and don't have to pay taxes, and you get a little bit of money and you have to pay taxes. This is work in a fallen world. That's why on that Scantron exam, that means everything, the SAT or whatever it is, your, your pencil breaks and you don't have an extra number two pencil and you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like, why do things like this, why is it, why is it so difficult now? Because sometimes work seems like a curse, not a blessing, ever since sin entered into our world. So here's what we, we all deal with that frustration. I deal with that frustration sometimes. Like during this pandemic, some of my buddies who are in, in pastoral ministry say, you know what, what used to take me 15 to 20 hours to write a sermon now takes like 25 hours. I don't know why, it's crazy. This like mental writer's block and it's difficult. We're like trudging through mud trying to get thoughts. That's why you have writer's block sometimes. That's why challenges happen in life. And so what do we do to deal with that frustration? I think we will usually, usually, most of us will go to one of two ways. Either we will undervalue work or we will overvalue work, okay? We will either become idle and lazy or we will make an idol of our work. I would say, yeah, I, I was trying to think, you know, where do we go to more? Do we become lazy in our work or do we look to work to find our sense of worth and meaning? Well, in, in Proverbs 18.9, and we talked, I'm not going to belabor this point a lot because we talked about time, we talked about the sluggard, we talked a little bit about laziness, but in Proverbs 18.9, it says, the one who is slack in his work, lazy in his work, doesn't work hard in his work, is brother to one who destroys. They're like kissing cousins, laziness and destruction, right? Just talking about the dangers of laziness when it comes to your work. So in, in other places in, in Proverbs, it talks about a vineyard. Like all of us have a vineyard. Vineyards in those days were like cash cows. Like you have a vineyard, you've got money, but then there were people who were just too lazy to take care of it. And so all of this potential was wasted because they were spending time on YouTube or looking at memes or watching TV all night long. And they took the God-given potential and the wealth of blessing that was invested into them by God, and they squandered it because of their idleness and laziness. How is your work ethic? Are you pretty good at work, or are you the kind of person who shows up eight minutes late all the time? Well, as long as we're within 10 minutes, they don't count as late. Uh, it's eight, nine minutes. Are you the kind of person who takes like three-hour lunches, cuts corners? Kind of person who, I don't know, hey, yeah, even though uh, uh, work day is supposed to be until 6.30, uh, boss isn't here, let's just, let's just dip out a little bit early. It's too low of you of work. Like God designed it to be a blessing, a gift to you, a blessing to you, a blessing to other people as well. Again, I'm not going to go deep and, and talk much more about this. You understand what it is to be lazy, and the warnings there are found in Proverbs, because I think a lot of us will go the other way. Not about being idle at work, but lifting up work to make it an idol in our lives. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Okay, either work is your God or God is your God. Either God is your God or money is your God. Either way, there are a lot of different things that compete for our attention, but in this culture that we live in, in the rat race that is American work culture, 
it's really easy for us to make an idol out of our work. An idol is something that we worship other than God. An idol is something that causes obedience to God to seem difficult or seem like an inconvenience. An idol is something you lift up and hail above God. An idol is a place where you find your security, your significance, your identity, your meaning. Can I ask you, as you think about your conception of yourself, do you see yourself first, hey, hey okay, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know what, my name is, is uh, Jack, and I'm, a, I'm the president of a company, uh, and I happen to be a, a Christian. Yeah, my name is Donald, and uh, I'm a lawyer, um, and you know, uh, I also, on the weekends, I, I follow Christ. I'm a, I'm a devoted believer. Yeah, my name is uh, Jefferson, and I'm a teacher, and I really, you know, I, I, uh, I also uh, love the Lord God. Is your first conception of yourself, your, is your first primary identity what you do? Or when you think about yourself, do you say, you know, yeah, you know what, I'm a Christian, and I just happen to own a multi-million dollar business. I'm a Christian and I happen to be a, a real estate agent. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm a doctor. I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm a PA. I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm an accountant. What is your primary conception of your identity? Because who you worship will give you your identity. Here's what an idol, so here's, what an, here's what God, God, God says go here, we go here. God says do this, we do this. God says drop this, we drop this. God says follow me, we follow him. An idol says the same thing. An idol says the same thing. Go here and we go there. Stop doing this, stop, we stop doing that. Follow me here, follow me here. And we, we, we do that. The question is who, who, who's our God? Who are we following? Who's the one who's calling the shots in our lives? Because some of us, if I can be honest, some of us are being played by a puppeteer. Like that in sync, is it in sync video? Like we're being played where work says, hey, uh, work 100 hours a week. And you're like, but what about, what about going to church? Like, don't you want to make it in work? Oh, yeah, and you follow your idol of work. Hey, uh, in order to get that promotion, okay, in order to get that promotion, you got to talk smack about that other person. Yeah, but I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Don't you want to get into the C-suite one day? You're right, and we follow the idol of work. Hey, uh, you committed to serving God in, in, in this area, but hey, the money's over here. The advancement is over here. Climbing the ladder is over here. So, so leave, this, leave this church that you're at, leave these commitments that you've got, and go to this other city. But I don't know, there's no, there's no churches. I'm not going to grow there. Don't you want to be somebody? Who are you following? Who's your God? Have you made work your idol, your sense of worth, your sense of significance? Can I ask you a question? If your idol, if work is your idol, if work tells you to stop following God, would you listen to that idol? Here's another question, the same side, same coin, different side. If God told you to let go of your work, would you be able to do that? If God says leave your company because it's costing you your soul, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet in my family. You, you know, Lot, Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah to live there because of money instead of ministry, and it cost him everything. Who are you worshiping? What are you wor Obviously, you come in here, God is my everything. He's my, when the music fades, all is stripped away. I, I, it's all about you, Jesus, on Sunday. But how about during the rest of the week? 
Idolatry doesn't just affect us if we're getting paid, it affects us at home too, if we're a stay-at-home mother. The idol of having a perfect-looking home, of having perfect-looking kids, of having it all together, of, of, of winning the, hey, humble brag on social media, you got it, and everyone's like, yeah, it's a humble brag, but you know what, you're awesome, you're really awesome. Like, work doesn't just mean you're getting a W-2. It means everything that you're called to do right now. If that means you're a student and your identity is found, and you know what? Everyone knows me as the number one person in my grade. I'm number one in class rank. If I get a number two, it's, it's, it's gonna, people are going to think I'm, I'm, I'm less than. So I can't go to SNF this week. I can't go to house church this week. I can't go to church because I've got to study. What comes first in your life, your identity as a child of God or your identity in what you do? Who are you worshiping? Is it God or is it an idol in your life? Because these will compete and you can only serve one. You can only serve one. You can only serve one. Because work was meant to be a blessing. A servant in your, in your, in your, at your disposal in order that through you, God would love the world. Not a master through which you would become enslaved to the demands and the pressures of trying to be the best I can be so that people might praise me for what I do. You see that even, even if you make it to the top, you, you become the CEO of the best firm in the world, or you become the, the greatest NBA player ever, like LeBron James, probably right now actively the best player in the NBA, still everyone says he's not good, he ain't good enough, other people are better than, what more do you need? What more do you need? It will never satisfy you. It will never satisfy because it was never meant to do that. Your worth and your identity has to be in something much deeper because if I stop being a pastor, I will not stop being a Christian. My identity is not in what I do, it's in who I am as a child of God. If you stop being, if you stop being a doctor, a dentist, a nurse, a homemaker, a stay-at-home mother, a teacher, an acupuncturist, an accountant, an engineer, whatever it is that you do, if you stop being that, your identity will not be shaken if your identity is in Christ and in the gospel. See, we are the fingers of God through whom God is loving and massaging a broken hurting world. He is loving the world through our vocation, through our work, and through what we do. This, when, when seen properly, it relieves us of the back-breaking pressure to make work or school or our vocation something other than it ought to be. Sometimes work does feel like a curse more than a blessing. But here's what we see. Okay, here's what we see. And the last thing that we see is that um, your work matters to God, so God should matter to your work. In understanding that this is a conception that our non-Christian co-workers don't have, what Christianity gives to us is a different understanding, a different worldview, and a different work ethic. Think about this. On, on average, the average worker will spend 80,000 hours at work throughout your lifetime. 80,000 hours, that's, that's going to be probably more time, and that's not even including school. But you're going to spend more time at work than you will anywhere else in your waking, in your waking hours. The question is, are you going to just get through that and endure that and, and, and bang your head up against the wall until uh, 6.30 comes, 5.30 comes? Or are you going to be able to worship God through what you do at work? Because your work matters to God. Here's what Augustine said to finish that quote. He said, the maid honors God 
when she cleans the floor, not because she sings hymns while she does it, but because God loves clean floors. <laughs> Your work matters to God, whatever you do. The shoemaker who makes shoes honors God, not because he ties little crosses on the shoelaces, but because God loves good craftsmanship. You honor God at your restaurant when you make those sandwiches, not because you're playing Z88.3, but because God delights in giving good sandwiches to the people that he loves. God works through you and he delights in you as a mother as you care for your children, not because you're going to win the Mother of the Year Award next Mother's Day and get all kinds of social media love, but because you are the agent through which the love of God is manifest to your child through every word you say, through every action that you do, through every attitude of your heart, through all that you do, your children are seeing the manifold beauty of God. God loves when you love in that way. Everything that you do matters because your work matters to God. It doesn't matter whether it's spiritual or not. As long as you are working to bring order out of chaos and to bring something that would help the world that honors God because work in and of itself matters to God. Everything that you do matters to God in this vocational arena of your life. Because your work matters to God as a Christian, God should matter to your work. The way that I work, the reason that I work, this should, this should challenge a lot of the way that you think about work and about maybe what you want to do for work. I'll try and, uh, I, I think, my plan is to, to go a little bit more into this next week, like what kind of jobs, what, what does that look like? What does being a Christian mean? Part, part of it means if, if you're, in, if you're if you're investing into in, in the companies that are exploiting people and using uh, human trafficking and slave labor, then that's not something as a Christian you ought to get involved in. If you're in advertising and you're advertising um, products that uh, are going to lead people into idolatry, like we're selling this kind of, uh, this kind of thing that's going to make people feel bad if they don't have it and make them feel great if they have it and, and give them a false sense of worth and, 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 and bowing down to the idol of the product that I'm offering, then, hey, maybe that's not something you ought to be, be, be selling. Being a Christian at the very least should cause you to think about what we're doing with work, not just thinking about money, not just thinking about what people are telling me I'm good at doing, because you could be good at doing a lot of things that are sinful and not pleasing to God. Last week, one of our sixth graders, Ella Terrell, after uh, worship, she, she said to me, hey, so um, does that mean, uh, a, can a Christian be a history teacher? And my thought was, yeah, of course, that would be a great thing. And she's like, but, but history teachers have to teach about evolution, and like Christians don't believe that. I, I thought, like... I don't remember history teachers teaching me about evolution, but I said, that, you know, th that's okay, right? You, I mean, there are many ways, and, and I explained the many different ways that you can go about doing this. But what she was doing was she was saying, listen, if I'm a child of God, then he ought to make an impact in my choice of careers, right? He should impact my work, right? I ought to be asking certain kinds of questions before I go into it because as a child of God, it shapes the choices 
that I make. When I was a, a youth pastor 15 years ago, I, I had a, a high school girl, and she said, uh, Pastor Dale, I need you to pray for me because I just really, I, I really want to do this well. She said, uh, I want to be a model for Christ. I said, all right, tell me more about that. What kind of model? You, you want to like sell Bibles like in a Bible catalog or like what kind of model do you want to be? It's like, yeah, you know, like a model, like a runway model, like a fashion model, like a model that's on the cover of magazines. And I said, yeah, you know what? Uh, I, would, I would go back to God and really pray. And if he says yes, then I would keep on praying and praying and praying until he says no. I don't believe that's the kind of work that you ought to be involved in if it's causing people to look at you and think things that are not godly thoughts, right? See, what Christianity does, it gives us a different kind of a worldview, a different set of questions to ask. This is what it says in, in, in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Um, again, we're going outside the book of Proverbs, but it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It says, Jesus stands on the other side of that camera and he takes a picture of you modeling. Do you think you would be okay with that? If not, probably not where you ought to be. But if God is your boss, if God dictates everything, well, what if I'm the CEO? You still have a boss above you and you answer to God. You're serving God, not people. As you work in that restaurant, as you work as a barista, as you work as a teacher, your principal, your boss, your shift supervisor is not your, the one for whose eyes you're working. Well, I'm, I, I'm at home as a mom. Nobody's checking what I do. Nobody sees what I do. Yeah, God, you're working as if serving God. You're caring for that child as if you're caring for Jesus himself. You're, you're, you're teaching these students as if Jesus' face was on each of them. You're working to please him, not to pad the pocketbook or the bank account. This is what it says in, 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 uh, in Proverbs 22, verse 29, it says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. He's saying when you honor God in your work, God has a way of honoring you and blessing you and giving you the things that, wow, everything I need is in Christ. But when I give my all unto the Lord God, he takes care of a lot of other things that I thought I needed to be non-Christian in my actions in order to get this reward. The Bible says, no, no, no. You work until the Lord, He sees everything. He sees more than your boss ever sees. And I wish I had time to go into st stories of how, what this looks like, but I, I, I won't. But everything that you do matters to God, and therefore God should matter to everything that you do, including the way you go to school, the way that you study, the way that you work. I love, uh, I love that picture of uh, this, this surgeon is at work. It's a dark room, and then the lights are on only on the, the, the patient. The, the doctor, the surgeon is there, and Jesus is next to him. Have you seen this picture? If I was tech savvy, I'd throw it up here, but it's, uh, um, anyways. Jesus' arm is around the hand is on the shoulder of the surgeon. This is a way of saying, hey, I'm with you. Like, I'm with you. You'll be all right. And then his other hand is on the hand of the surgeon saying, we're going to do this together. A picture of how God wants to do work through you and me so that we can be the fingers of God to bring his love, his provision, his necessities into a world that needs it in order that the world might be blessed through our work. That's what God is calling us to do. That's who he's calling us to be. 
to be his agents, to be his hand of blessing, to, to reorient our minds around what it is that God has called us to do as you work for XYZ company or as you manage the X, Y, and Z business or as you work at home or as you go to school. Jesus is the one, not my GPA that drives me. Jesus is the one. I want to please, I want to honor, I want to love him in all that I do. What if we began to see work for something more than just a means to paying the mortgage or rent each month? What if it was said, gosh, you know what? All of our teachers are quitting, but our Christian teachers are staying in the fight. They're picking up more students. They're going above and beyond. In our workplace, man, everybody was fighting. There was so much drama, so much gossip. But the Christians, they stay out of it. They just, they, they, they walk away. They become part of the solution. They start thinking about ways in which we can get people together. They start facilitating reconciliation meetings. They say they're praying for our, the, the culture of our, of our office is changing because of these Christians. What if it was said of Christians, everyone comes late, but these Christians come early. They stay later. They ask what else needs to be done. They go above and beyond. They're our hardest workers. They're the most compassionate. They don't cut corners. They, take, they actually don't spend all of their lunch hour eating. They spend time reading their, their Bibles, and then they, they come and they share encouraging words with, with us. What, what if it was said that Christians were different in the way that they did things because they knew that their work mattered to God, and they knew that God mattered to their work? What if we did things differently? Wow, the Christians treat our clients so well. The Christians treat the customers so well. The Christians treat us bosses so well. Not seeing us as a cash cow, but they see us as people to be loved and served. They don't wait for us to pay the bill, but they bring us goodies so that we might enjoy from the fruit of their labor. There's something different about these people. They are the finger of God in the world. What if we begin to see work? the way that God sees work, began to see it differently, began to see it as our way of loving the world, a world that's broken. Some of us um, know uh, a lecturer up at Harvard named Josephine, Josephine Kim, and she teaches in the graduate school, but she uh, many years ago came and she shared um, her, her story, her testimony. But I, I, sometime in elementary school, it might have been like third or fourth grade, um, she came from Korea and was taking, uh, sitting in school and she got all bad grades, got all like failing grades, except she got an A plus in art class. Guess you don't need English to do well in art. But I think it was in the next year or something like that. Um, she had this one, uh, one teacher, and the teacher would write these like big 100% on top of her paper. And she just talked about how much that gave her uh, this boost in self-esteem. Um, she was saying at that, at that talk, she said like 30 years ago, we had a pool party at, her name was Mrs. Cap, Janet Capps. At, at Mrs. Capp's house, and I still remember the address. That's how meaningful this teacher was in my life. She would write those big old 100% and say, you're doing a great job. So a after uh, Josephine got a job at Harvard, she looked up uh, Janet Capp somehow. I don't know how she did, maybe through the school or, or social media or whatever. She reached out to her and said, hey, you know, it's Josephine. I, I don't know if you remember me, but I was in your class at such and such school, and this year I was in fourth grade, came from Korea. And uh, the letter came back, or the email came back, and, and Mrs. Capp said, I, 
uh, absolutely remember you. I'm so proud of you know, who you've become. I, I knew that you could do it, all this stuff. And Josephine uh, asked her back, she said, you know, uh, so what are you up to now? And she said, oh, I, I, after 35 years of, of teaching, I stopped. And so she said, how, did you, how could you do it for like 35 years? And she said, um, for 35 years, every morning I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I, I just see this, uh, this is my chance to bless kids. And, I, and, and the uh, platform is teaching. But I, could, I can do it in anything I did, but wake up at 4.30 every morning and I pray for every single one of my students. She said, and every year I pray for the students, I pray more, the most for the students um, who are struggling, who need it the most. And then she said, that year uh, I prayed the most for you. <laughs> I prayed the most for you. And through Mrs. Cap, fourth grade teacher, she experienced the love and the blessing of God. What if we saw work for more than what we saw it 40 minutes ago, begin to see it as a call of God in our lives, a way to bless other people, a way for us to be blessed. God said, I like, this is fun. Come and do it. Come and engage in this. Be my fingers to bless the world. I will do it through you if you're willing, and if you're willing, I will do it. At the end of the day, what if throughout our workplaces, throughout our hospitals, throughout our factories, throughout our, our marketplaces, throughout our schools, throughout our homes, it was said, there's a group of people who do things so differently. I can't explain it, but something like divine about what they do. Then I think we would be understanding work the way that Jesus did. What was Jesus? Well, obviously, he was and is the savior of the world. But before that, he was a carpenter. He was apprenticed by Joseph, his stepfather, if you will. And it was said of Jesus that he was in the Greek, the Greek word says technon. A lot of times we think, well, Jesus, he was, I'm sure he was not a terrible carpenter. He was probably, like, pretty good. He wasn't, like, so good, and he didn't boast about it, but he didn't want to, like, make his fellow carpenters feel bad. He didn't want to show up his dad, so he was probably, like, pretty decent, but not, like, extravagant. The word technon tells us differently. It says Jesus was excellent at what he did. It means someone who knows the skill and then is able to apply it into life and make something wonderful out of nothing. As a carpenter, he probably made chairs and made tables, and <laughs> the joke was that he's, there's still probably some tables that Jesus made that are still in use in Israel somewhere today. Jesus was so good at what he did. And so it's fitting that at the last day of his life, it was a cross that probably some carpenter had carved out upon which Jesus was nailed when he breathed his last. But everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus did was done in order that people would see the love of God, that Jesus would be the fingers of God in the world and it calls us to do the same. Because when Jesus died, he finished his work. He wasn't lazy, he didn't make it an idol, but he gave it all to God. When he finished that work and he said, it's finished, there was a an unbelieving Roman general, a centurion, who looked at Jesus, seeing the work that was accomplished, and he said, you know what, surely he was a son of God. 
May we study. May we work in our workplaces. May we be stay-at-home moms and be so awesome at it that when people look at us, they say, surely, that's got to be a child of God. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Ask the Lord God that he would give us not just new minds, but new hearts transformed to see work the way that he does. Hey, for some of us, that's going to mean we're going to have to make some major changes. For some of us, that means you've got to start, start dare to think about making changes in your life. For some of us, maybe that's a reorienting of what you thought your career goals were going to look like. Maybe for some, it just gives a newfound dignity to the work that you thought was just, man, it's painful, it's fruitless, it's pointless, it's futile, it's frustrating. But now infused with the gospel, this is my means by which I can provide something to the world, my part that I play when I bag chips for the glory of God, when I teach children for the glory of God, when I wipe my child after they go to the bathroom for the glory of God, when I provide a product that the world is desperately in need of for the glory of God. These things infused with a new sense of dignity and worth because all of that matters to God. You matter to God. God matters to what you do as well. Let's pray and ask the Lord that he would help us. Oh, that he would help us to be faithful in the music phase, to be faithful on Monday morning, to be faithful as faithful Monday morning as we are Friday afternoon, and to be as faithful Friday afternoon after a long week of work as we are on Monday morning. Let's pray, Lord, help me to be the fingers of God in my world, in my workplace, in my home, in my school. Let's pray for a minute in that way. I'll pray for us and then we'll continue to worship the Lord. Let's pray for a minute. Father in heaven, thank you that our school matters to you, what we do, how we study. Being a student matters. We're not doing it for a grade, we're doing it for the, for the king. Thank you that our work as stay-at-home mothers matter. Not because the kid pays attention to us, because the kid is amazing because our God is amazing and he delights when we join him in the work. Lord, thank you that our work matters as a baker, as a jeweler, as an architect, as an engineer, as a postal worker, as a fence maker, as a homeowner, as a business owner, as a homemaker, as a whatever we do. 
All of that matters. All of that matters to you. May we lift our heads high in dignity, our identity as a child of God. We are Christians, different in our work because of who you've called us to be. Thank you so much that there's a newfound worth and dignity and sense of purpose to everything we do. May we live that call faithfully, humbly, for your glory, for our blessing, the blessing of the world around us. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.